Hey everyone, welcome to episode 102, Emotional Childhood. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. So we just got back from the fair. Grady's on summer break. We're waiting on Lily to get out of summer break. So I'm feeling the light and fluffy energy of summer here. And when do you all get out of school? And what's going on in your neck of the woods? So today we're talking about something. Being at the fair reminded me of this work called emotional childhood. And it's a term that Brooke talks about a lot, emotional adulthood versus emotional childhood. And I think we spend most of our time in emotional childhood without consciousness. I know I do on the regular every single day. So I'm always having that conversation with myself of how to step in emotional adulthood versus living in emotional childhood. And before I started doing this work of consciousness, I was always in emotional childhood where I was blaming David for everything or the kids, or if the kids acted a different way, then I wouldn't have to act the way that I was doing. So I was giving all of my emotional responsibility to someone outside of me. And that's what we do as kids. Because when we're kids, it's kind of like when our first graders would hit someone on the playground. I said, what was going on? Well, they hit me first. And so we give our emotional power away when we give it to someone like your ex-husband or your ex-mother-in-law or the father that you had a falling out with. We give all of our emotional power to someone that really can't handle all that emotional power. When we're stuck in emotional childhood, whether it's in a relationship or in our own lives, we don't take control of the raffia, so to speak. And they're taking control of the raffia is when my sister and I were making volunteer gifts many, many moons ago. I've told this before, but if you haven't heard it, she was a kindergarten teacher. I was a first grade teacher. We we're making volunteer gifts and we were doing the raffia bow for the volunteer gifts. And Jennifer's, my sister Jennifer, her bows looked like they were out of Martha Stewart magazine. They were beautiful. They were gorgeous. And we looked at mine, they looked like one of my first graders had made the bow because they were droopy and they were sparse and they just did not look too hot to trot. I said, oh my goodness, your bows are so amazing. Mine are horrible. What is going on? And she's like, you know what you got to do? You got you to gotta put a lot of raffia in there. You got to take control of the raffia. And she started like getting all aggressive with the raffia. And that was probably 25 years ago, maybe. And we still talk about taking control of the raffia. And emotional childhood is what we grow up in. And that's part of the human experience. And that's normal to be an emotional childhood when we're a child. What happens is when we're around 25, the brain stops growing and evolving, so to speak. And it says, well, other people are responsible for how I feel. I'm going to give all of my emotional power to someone else, just like I gave it to my parents, or I gave it to my coach, or I gave it to my teachers, or I gave it to someone outside of me. If you go back to the podcast called Your Parents Lied to You, we were connected to something much greater, much more powerful that our souls were connected to something very, very beautiful. And so some people call it God, some people call it the universe, but our souls were connected to something much bigger than your parents. But what happens is when you're little and you're in emotional childhood, you give that emotional responsibility and that God-like power or that universe power to your parents. So then what happens is you give it to your parents and then you give it to your coaches and then you give it to your teachers and you give it to your peer group and you give it to your friends and you give it to someone outside of you because you give them the God-like qualities or the universe-like qualities. 
And then when we step into emotional adulthood, where we change our Saturn rungs, if you go back to the podcast talking about Saturn, we have Saturn growing up in the four walls with we grow up in, and then we create our own new four walls. So it's like we grew up in a tree, we were the apple in that tree, then that apple fell out of the tree, planted the seed, and we created a brand new tree. And then we created new apples in our tree. We are the base, we are the root, we are the stem, we are the bark of our own tree. But when we were growing up, we were the apple in the tree. And so when we create this new tree in this new four walls, sometimes that transition is very hard. And it's an ongoing process. It's not like you grow your own tree and then you're done and you don't ever look back at your old tree. The two trees are still connected at the roots. It's very symbolic and very beautiful when you think about it. Being that apple and then now you're the tree. And now you're creating new apples. Guess what's going to happen in the evolution of life? Your apples, assuming you have children, are going to fall out of the tree when they're grown and flown, whatever that is. Then they're going to create their own four walls and so on and so forth. So you're creating this legacy, so to speak, but all the trees are connected at the root level. And so when we're growing up, we're the apple in that tree and we give all of our emotional responsibility to the bark, to the roots. And then we think that they are giving us our wholeness and our fullness and our worthiness, and our value. But it was given to us before we were even born. And then when we go create our own tree, and we step, we try to step into our own emotional adulthood, and we create our own four walls, that's when things get a little tricky. And our kids and spouse are going to bring us into emotional childhood sooner and quicker than anybody else because it's a scary transition to create a new tree. So then we go back to the old tree, and we cre- recreate familiar patterns. We live unconsciously, because all we know is that first tree. Now creating our own new tree is very difficult. And so when you're growing up, of course, when you're the apple in the tree, you're going to have wounds, you're going to have pain, you're going to have hurt. That is part of the human experience. Nothing has gone wrong. Everybody has it on some level, some more than others, some deeper than others. Some took it harder than others. If you talk to children who are raised in the same family, some are more affected deeper because they might be more of an empath or they might be more sensitive. They weren't able to shut off the abuse or the neglect or see it for what it was when they were younger. So that shows you that the way in which they were raised was the way that they perceived it. So that wounded apple goes and creates a new tree and it carries those wounds with us. And it brings it into the new tree because the unconsciousness is creating it versus creating it with consciousness and creating a life by design. So I love this quote. It says, signs your wounded inner child is ruling your life. Not ruining, ruling. And that's why consciousness helps so much because then you can loosen the grip, so to speak, and not let it rule your life. It will always play a part, but when we parent, We can kind of heal those old wounds in current times separate through our children versus through our children or through our spouse. It says, signs that your wounded inner child is ruling your life. This was by Melissa Richman. You have anxiety when making new decisions. You believe there is something wrong with you. You really want to please others. You have trouble standing up for yourself or sharing your opinions. You criticize yourself often. You feel uncomfortable expressing strong emotions and try to remain neutral. You rarely get very upset, but when you do, it is extreme. You attempt to avoid conflict. You feel responsible for others. You struggle with saying no. You have trouble letting go of the past and you find it difficult to trust people. Now, all of those, we kind of float in and out of those. So our brain wants to go to all or nothing. Oh my goodness, I have all of them and I'm wounded, I'm broken, I'm I'm a terrible person. You can have shades of that and you also are gonna have different stages in your life and different relationships where it's gonna come out more. And there's four different types of wounds that they talk about a lot. And the four wounds are the abandonment wound, the guilt wound, the trust wound, or the neglect wound. Now, there's crossover in all of this, of course, but there's different characteristics that show up when you have different wounds and how you're playing that out in your current relationships to try to heal that old wound in current time. Now, the reason why I always talk about 
trying to heal your old wounds in current time. Because when you have awareness, you will step into more emotional adulthood where you won't seek others to try to heal and fill that hole. Because you'll realize, oh, that is something that happened to me, but it didn't take away from my value or my worthiness or create an HOLE in me that makes me not good enough. If there's an abandonment wound, it might show up like you might feel left out. You have a fear of feeling left out. You don't like being alone. You might be codependent. You might threaten to leave. You might normally attract emotionally unavailable people when you had a lot of abandonment issues as a child. If it's the guilt wound, you feel sorry or you feel bad a lot. You don't like to ask for things. You use guilt to manipulate. You're afraid to set boundaries. You normally attract people who make you feel guilty. If you had a lot of trust wounds as a child, then you will grow up unconsciously and draw people into your life who are probably emotionally unavailable, and then you'll be afraid to be hurt. You don't trust yourself. You find ways not to trust people. You're always looking for the other shoe to drop. You feel insecure and need lots of external validation. You don't feel safe even when you're reassured over and over that you're loved. And sometimes you might attract people who don't make you feel safe. Not that they can make you or not make you feel safe, but they're erratic or chaotic or they're that push-pull in and out a lot. And so you create that lack of trust within someone else and then want to try to heal that old wound in current time with someone who can't give that to you even if they wanted to. The neglect wound shows up by struggling to let things go, maybe has a low self-worth, you get angry easily, you struggle to say no, you repress your emotions and hold things in, you have a fear of being vulnerable, and you might attract people who don't appreciate you or make you feel seen. Now, do you see how the people that we draw into our lives is always coming from a wound that's trying to heal itself in current time? Now, with our kids, our kids come very W-H-O-L-E. They come whole. They come complete. You never look at a child or a baby in the hospital and say, that baby's not good enough. There's something wrong with them. They're so insecure. That baby is so insecure. The reason why is because you can see that baby as a whole child. You can see them as full. You can see them as complete. And so when they grow up, a lot of times we create this dance and we create this dynamic and we see our child as a caregiver that wounded us. And then the child does the thing that the child does and it re-injures us over and over and over versus seeing what the child is doing as neutral and not adding all the extra meaning to it. Then we don't try to use our child as a pawn to heal that old wound in current time. I talk a lot about how I did this with Lillian Grady because I had so much wounding from the infertility years. I had so much wounding from not feeling good enough, like I was broken, like I couldn't be part of the mom club. For six years, I felt that unconsciously, of course. No one ever said it. No one ever implied it. It was all meaning I had put on myself. So when my kids acted up or they had temper tantrums or they weren't happy all the time or they weren't the Stepford children or they weren't perfect or they would hit each other or whatever it was, then it was proof to me that they were right. You should have been in the mom club. You weren't good enough. That's why I was telling David all the time, I meant to be a teacher and I meant to be a counselor, but I don't think I'm meant to be their mom because there's something that they need from me that I can't give them because I felt so insecure and I felt so vulnerable and I felt so unworthy of that full, complete love because I felt like I wasn't deserving of it because I felt so broken. And so I looked to my one and three-year-old to pick up my broken pieces and put me back together like Humpty Dumpty. And guess what? They couldn't do it because it's not their responsibility, not their job. Couldn't do it even if they wanted to because they're just trying to figure out how to drink out of a sippy cup and how to potty train. They're not worried about filling up mom. They already see me as full and complete because they see themselves as full and complete. So do you see how we do this dance? And sometimes we can recreate it by drawing people into our lives. Sometimes even deeper, we recreate it with our kids. We create that wounding within them. We see that within them. So then we try to heal that old wound in current time and then we end up re-injuring ourselves over and over and over. What? Is that crazy? Is that wild? 
And so sometimes we have this sense of entitlement, like, well, my child should be easier. My child should be better behaved. My child should be better at sports. My child should get straight A's. My child should do a certain thing to make me feel whole and complete. Our children are already whole and complete, as are we. Once we see ourselves as whole and complete, then we can create that tree and there's not so much toxicity in the roots, in the trees, because we're stepping into emotional adulthood and becoming the parent that we needed when we were younger, if you didn't have the ideal parent, or healing that old wound of infertility, but doing it separate from them, not through them. I remember we were at the mall and it was a rough day and David got home and he was asking me about the day and I pretty much had a list ready to go of every day of how the day was. Well, she did this and then he did this and then she did this and that. I was like tattling on them when he would get home from work. I was venting, I was complaining, I was doing all the things. And I said, and then I snapped at her and then I did this. And he's like, you really can't do that. And I literally said, talk about emotional childhood. I said, well, she started it. She was three. She started it. I was like the first grader who said, well, they hit me first. And that's why I body slammed them. This always shows up. So I don't want you to take this information and use it as evidence that you're a horrible human. I want you to use it as evidence that you're completely human. And then you can see it in other people, how other people are trying to heal their old wounds in current time. And they might be doing it through you, or you might see them doing it through other relationships. And then you understand it more versus judging it. Because whenever we're judging something within someone else, it's something we see in ourselves that we don't like about ourselves. What? It's that turnaround effect. It's that mirroring effect. So when my kids were doing stuff, when Lily was acting super controlling, she was reflecting back my controlling energy. And I didn't like that in myself. So instead of me looking at within myself, I just wanted to make her less controlling, her less bossy, her less strong-willed. Instead of looking at myself, at my bossiness, at my strong-willedness, at my controlling issues. I also did this with our house. I just expected the house to always be clean and I just never wanted to do anything about it. I wanted to get from point A to point B and live in a house that did not feel so stressful, but I didn't want to do anything about it. So I actually blamed an inanimate object like laundry, like the dishwasher, like my house, like the clutter. And I blamed it on that versus taking full emotional responsibility, stepping into emotional adulthood and saying, whoa, I got to take control of the raffia here. This place is a pigsty and it's not the pigsty's fault. It's not the clutter's fault. It was that my brain was cluttered so that my environment was cluttered. And then I was married to a minimalist. I still am married to the minimalist, but at the time I didn't see it as that. So I rejected that within him because it was so frustrating to me how he was so organized and clean and everything was so simple because it's something that I wanted. But instead of saying, hey, let me learn a few tricks. Let me learn about this. I would resent him for it and not do anything about it. What? Isn't that wild? Or like I talked about last week, when he would say something about the dishwasher, I would get super defensive, step into emotional childhood, and I'm not good enough, and I'm just disappointing you. I can't do anything right. Wah. I wouldn't say those words, but that's what I was thinking. So I might shut down. I might pull away. I might be snappy. I might be sarcastic, passive aggressive. All those things were coming up because I was living in emotional childhood. I still see myself dancing emotional childhood, but with consciousness, you can live in emotional adulthood and then you can see how the emotional child and the inner child and all the wounds come up. And then you don't live in emotional childhood. You don't live with your inner child and you can kind of coexist and you have conversations like I talked about in the episode called Healing Your Inner Child of having conversations with your inner child and having conversations with the little girl inside of you who had wounds. I know you didn't feel good enough to be a mom. I know you were scared to do this. I know you feel like because it took so long that you're not worthy of this, but you are. These are conversations I have with my inner child. Now, inner child was in my 20s. It doesn't have to be when you're five years old not picked on the kickball team. It can be. It can be from your parents' divorce. It can be from an alcoholic father or an abusive mother or something that happened to you when you were in college. This was after college. My core wound was not feeling good enough as a mom. 
So I brought that baggage and that Samsonite luggage into that relationship. And I wanted to be the perfect mom because if I was the perfect mom, then I would feel worthy and whole. And then, of course, I couldn't attain that. I would do things like not send them to school in green on St. Patrick's Day. And I was like, oh, there it goes. Throw the baby out the bathwater. I knew I wasn't good enough. And there's proof right there. I told you about the time I forgot snack when they were like five years old at soccer game. They all come running over to me. Oh, Miss Hutchison has snack. And I was like, wait, no, that's for November 2nd. And David looks at me, he's like, it is November 2nd. I'm like, no, we're still in October. He's like, no, it's November 2nd. I was like, wait, what? And they all come running over to me. And I was like, I'll bring it on Monday at practice. And then they're like, okay, no big deal. And then Lily looks at me and she drops her shoulders and starts bawling. I was like, yep, see, told you, I'm not good enough. I'm not good. So if I could be the perfect mom, and never forget snack, never forget a permission slip, never forget to dress them in green, never snap, never yell, have a perfect house, have the fruits and vegetables and vitamins every day and have the perfect food and all the things had to be perfect because there was no room for error. So I was walking on this tightrope of emotional childhood of trying to be and fill that hole and do it through my kids, but they couldn't do it. And I had to do it on my own and step into emotional adulthood, be okay with B minus, and then it takes the pressure off our kids to be B minus as well. A lot of times when I'm helping clients lose weight, sometimes they step into emotional childhood because they have an emotion that they don't know what to do with. So instead of feeling it and processing it, the rebellious teen comes out. Well, I don't want to eat like this. No, I deserve the Twinkies. No, it's the diet's fault. It's the plan's fault. And then they get angry at the food because the food isn't solving the problem. So then they eat the food to settle their emotions a little bit. And I will tell you, when we learn how to feel our tricky emotions as an adult, number one, we teach our kids how to feel their tricky emotions when they're a kid. But then we're not so scared of the emotions. Because think about when you go to a movie and you just want to get out a good cry. There's nothing like it. That's feeling your feelings. Have you ever tried to hold in a laugh or hold in tears when you're about to bust? Or have you ever tried to not fall asleep when you're just dozing off? That resistance is more painful than going to sleep, feeling the sleep. That resistance of letting the cry out versus holding it in like you're going to burst and you feel emotionally constipated like you're just going to pop, like the balloon that's just going to pop. And sometimes you can't cry in certain situations. Like the other day, I was having a moment. I was pulling through Starbucks with Lily and I was having a moment talking to her about something that was really bothering me. Not about her, just about in general. And she's like, oh my gosh, are you about to cry? I'm like, I think I am. And she's like, oh dear, are you going to yellow? I'm like, yes, help. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I think I'm going to red. It's just really hard to see her like that. And then the lady said, hi, how may I take your order? <laughs> Can I have a skinny vanilla latte? Large, hot. And we were laughing and I'm trying to like hold in the tears at the same time. And then I just, whoo, and then I let it out. She's like, oh my gosh, that was the worst. I'm like, I know, but that holding it in hurt. I feel like it was going to pop. And I remember when I was in Mr. Gardner's class, I think I told you this before with science, with Allison, and we just had the giggles and we couldn't stop laughing. And he's like, Kelly, you need to give me the brown marker. I had a marker. I was passing it back and forth with Allison. Apparently Allison was like goody two shoes and I was like the troublemaker in the class. And he's like, that marker is inappropriate to have. You need to give that to me. And he put out his hand and he was kind of a couple feet away. So I thought he meant that he wanted me to throw it at him because he had his hand out and he was not close enough for me to reach it over. And he said, give me the brown marker. And he put his hand out and he's literally at his desk and I'm about five desks away. And I'm like, what is he doing? And in my family, if you want something, you put your hand out like a popsicle across the kitchen. You put your hand out for the popsicle. In my four walls growing up, we threw things all the time at each other. Here, catch. Here's your popsicle. Here, catch. Here's the dog bowl. We do it all the time in our house now. Great, he'll be done with his lunchbox. He'll be like, here, you need to put this in the dishwasher. You know, like chuck it across the house. So anyway, in Earth Science with Mr. Gardner, he says, Kelly, give me the brown marker. And I threw it at him across the room. It was a toss. It was underhand. And he didn't move his hand and it hit him in the chest. And oh my funny, 
his face, it looked shocked. It looked stunned. And I was like, oh, I thought I was supposed to throw it. And Alice and I are like trying to hold in that laugh. And I'm telling you, I can remember that like it was yesterday. That holding in of the laugh was harder than if I could just let it out. So I'm using those as examples so you can see I've been watching a good show on like 2020 or Dateline and it's so good. I have to find out who did it. Did he go to jail? Is he guilty? What's going on? And I'm trying to get through the court case and there's a commercial and I'm so close, but I'm literally falling asleep and it's painful to try to stay awake. So I'm going back and forth. I just want to find out if he was guilty or not. I think he was. What do you think, David? He's like, I don't know. I can't hold on. I'm fading fast. And that holding on and that resistance of sleep is painful, bro. I am telling you. So you know what that feels like to hold in that emotional constipation, that feeling of just trying to hold in the laughter or hold in the tears or hold in the sleep when you're just dozing off and it just can't last another second. It's the same thing when we're learning how to feel our feelings and step into emotional adulthood versus living in an emotional childhood where we give all our emotional power to our spouse, our kids, our ex-husband, our father who's not in our life, our mother who was neglectful, someone who stole from us. And one of my favorite quotes, it's kind of a rhyme, and I sing it, but I don't want to sing it here, but it's no power to the sour. No power to the sour means why are we spending our time thinking about the person that injured us the most? Because they are just coming into our life and injuring us more within our four walls. And they're not even in our life anymore. If you're talking about your ex-husband, your ex-husband is your ex-husband because he's your ex-husband. So if you're remarried or if you're not remarried and you're trying to live your best life, we don't want the ex-husband to come back in your four walls. When we are spending our emotional bandwidth thinking and ruminating about him or ex-wife, then we are inviting that energy into our home. Now, this doesn't mean you block it out. You allow it in and then you say, you know what? We're going to give equal airtime to other people. We're going to give equal airtime to the people within my four walls. I see you, little girl. I see you, inner child. I see you, emotional childhood. I see you trying and it's okay. I understand why you're doing it. But right now, you take control of the raffia. You step into emotional adulthood. Right now, we're going to think about these beautiful blessings that we have in our family. Right now, we're going to think about this new husband that's so divine and so amazing and so incredible. Now, we're going to think about this positive relationship we have in our life. So you don't get mad at the little girl. You don't get mad at the little boy. You don't get mad at the emotional childhood. You just allow it. It's kind of like I talk about all the time when Maggie gets flipped out when there's an Amazon person at the door or the vacuum. We don't get mad at Maggie. We just gently redirect her. It's okay, girl. It's cool. It's cool. We're good. We're good. No danger here. But the brain wants to ruminate, perseverate, and think about it over and over and over because it thinks if it can just think about it and think about it and think about it. I was right. I was right. I was right. I was right. You don't even have to be right when you're talking about your ex-husband. You don't have to be right because he has a whole story and he has an old wounding that he was trying to recreate and try to heal in current time. So we can just allow it, but don't allow it to take over our lives because there's so much goodness, but the brain is trying to think about it, ruminate, 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 because it's trying to prevent it from happening again. But what happens is we start to look for it as evidence in our new relationships, and then we recreate it over and over. And that's why this imago therapy is so powerful, because then we can heal those old wounds separate from our new spouse or our kids or our house or our new coworker. This podcast should be plug and play for you where you can plug in those relationships and say, oh, well, I didn't have infertility issues like Kelly did, but I had this issue. And I can see how that wound is showing up right now in my life. I can see how that emotional childhood is stepping up and trying to kind of take over a little bit because it's trying to heal that old wound in current time. So I'm just gonna gently guide it. No one's mad. We're not shameful. We're not judging. 
We're not angry at the inner child. We're not angry at emotional childhood. We just allow it. We are aware of it. And then what happens, we can see it in other people, but not from a place of judging them, but we can see it from a place of understanding them. Like, oh, I see why they're acting like a crazy person. Because I act like a crazy person too sometimes. When my kids were having tantrums and I was in emotional childhood, guess what I did? I had a tantrum right along with them. Yeah, didn't really work out very well. I couldn't understand why I was so calm in the schools. But then with my own kids, they would have a tantrum and I would turn into emotional childhood and I would have my own temper tantrum. So when you see other people having temper tantrums, you're like, oh, they're just an emotional childhood. Not from a place of blame and shame and guilt and I'm better than them. Like, oh, I know what that's like. I might not do it with my coworker, but I did it with my kids yesterday. So do you see how you can kind of see that? And then it, it takes that, that sting out of what they're doing to you or if you see it with them doing it with someone else. And then you come from understanding and wholeness and fullness because it's so much easier to see in other people than it is to see within ourselves. All the people are just giant mirrors to us, not from a place of beating ourselves up, but from a place of acceptance and awareness. And, oh, this is how I step into emotional adulthood. Oh, this is how I create my own four walls. Oh, this is how I create my own new tree. Oh, okay, I get this. And then we don't worry about the apples in our tree. We just worry about the tree and the bark and the roots and the leaves filling with all the things that we want that are apples to absorb from us when they're going to absorb it. Then they're going to be grown and flown. Boom, drop out of the tree, create their own seeds, create their new roots. And it rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. So we're always thinking about that legacy that we're leaving behind versus recreating a legacy if it wasn't something that was worthwhile for us or it wasn't something that was healthy. Stepping into emotional adulthood is the greatest way to create some empowerment in your life where you're taking control of the raffia, not blaming and shaming the ex-husband or not blaming and shaming your parents or not blaming and shaming your teacher or your coaches or your ex-wife, but stepping into emotional adulthood and realizing like, oh, this is when I get to take control of the raffia and it feels super empowering and you have consciousness around it versus disempowering. It's all their fault. It's my house's fault, it's my laundry's fault, it's my weight's fault, it's the food's fault. And we learn how to feel our feelings and not resist them. Like when we're trying to resist sleep or resist tears or resist laughing, we're not resisting, we're feeling it and processing it. And it's like, oh, it's not as painful and scary as I thought. And that letting it out versus holding that beach ball underneath water, it doesn't create that resistance. And then we're allowing it, lean into the 50-50 experience versus pushing away, pushing away, pushing away, stop it, stop it, stop it. Eating our feelings, drinking our feelings, smoking our feelings, shopping our feelings, Facebooking our feelings. We're like, oh, this is how we feel our feelings. And then we can teach our kids to do the same. And it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com and if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.